Hi, I'm Lauren McLean, and welcome to Mentoring Nature Connections. I'd like to start by taking a moment to acknowledge the unceded and traditional territories we each find ourselves on today. For me, I live on Heritage Mountain in Port Moody, British Columbia. To the east of me is the Golden Years Provincial Park, and when I look to the west, I see the Burrard Inlet, which feeds into the Pacific Ocean. This is the land of the Quiquitlam First Nations. Today's episode is all about going on nature walks, slowing down, and creative thinking. I'm basically just describing the walking curriculum. So to help us dig into this topic a bit more, we have the amazing Dr. Jillian Judson. Not only is she the author of the walking curriculum book, but also Engaging Imagination in Ecological Education and Imagination and the Engaged Learner, Cognitive Tools for the Classroom. She is an assistant professor in the Faculty of Education at Simon Fraser University, and she has a passion for looking at imagination's role in leadership and learning. So welcome, Jillian. I'm so grateful that you're able to join us today. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for this opportunity to chat. Well, thank you again for being here. So I'd like to begin by asking, where did the inspiration come from to create the walking curriculum? That is such a good question. I mean, I could go on and on about it, but essentially it came out of research that I was initially sort of uh, motivated to pursue because I was really concerned about a sense of emotional disaffection with my students. And I was working in an um, an urban high school with wonderful students, high achieving, kind individuals who would be getting scholarships to university but they saw a big disconnect between themselves and environmental crises and problems in the world around them. They didn't have a favorite place. They didn't speak about any connections to the natural world. So that led to the research into sort of what is required to cultivate what we might call ecological understanding. And um, so that's where I've been doing a lot of my, my work, my research and my practice for the last decade, over decade. And, uh, my most recent publication, the one that is meant to be the most accessible, the one that is designed for any teacher that wants to move their their teaching outdoors into schoolyards, into playgrounds. That is the walking curriculum, sort of this larger push from a big theoretical question and creating a very accessible document for all teachers to consider. I I agree. It's very user-friendly. You can quickly flip to a book and then take an item or a question to take outdoors with your learners. That is the hope. The hope is to sort of indicate the many, many ways we can connect with sort of like the wildness in the schoolyard itself. We can't rely on all just field trips and the, the amount of work that goes into having a formal field trip twice a year somewhere. Rather, we need to think about ways to move teaching outside of the classroom on a regular basis. But the thing about the walking curriculum is it's an example of an imaginative and ecological approach to education. So it's a a different way of thinking about teaching. At the the forefront is how do we imaginatively and emotionally engage the learners? So it uses not only inquiry question, but it's each walk is paired with something called a cognitive tool. Um, And the idea of a cognitive tool can be misleading. If you think that when I use the word cognitive, I'm only talking about like the head and what is in the skull, but you know, the heart and the, the head are completely connected. So what's a bit different about the walking curriculum is it pairs these inquiry walks with um, activities that then engage the learner's emotion and imagination 
with the knowledge that they gained on the walk, which then makes it more memorable and uh, meaningful for them. Would you mind giving us one example? Oh, sure. I mean, I, there's lots of different examples. Um, you were right. The first part of the resource has 30 very brief walks, walks paired with cognitive tools. And then the second part of the book has, I think, 15 walks that are a little bit more elaborated. I know one is about um, how would a, uh, a whiskered animal explore this schoolyard? And then it gives a bit more information for how they would do that. And then the last section is all for high school. So I'm just flipping to a page. Um, this one's called the, the Nature by Design Walk. And it just has them look at how the schoolyard has been impacted by human design and thinking. And then the cognitive tool that goes with it is mental imagery and having the students evoke vivid mental imagery around that. But there's been some real favorites. Like I know uh, I'm going to shout out to Kelsey Keller, who's a teacher in Coquitlam. And she says her students just love the line walk and they just can't get enough of the line walk, which is when you follow human made and natural lines in the schoolyard and I'm just trying to find it the one that goes with that uh, yeah the line walk at the end it's the literate eye is a cognitive tool it says once you return visualize the lines you followed and try to line create them on a detailed map that indicates your route that's one there's there's another walk called the lovely and the unlovely walk um, which is has been incredibly um, beneficial for not just little learners but all learners because it has us look at identify things in the schoolyard you think are lovely or unlovely and so what do you find appealing and what do you find offensive and they make these lists and talk about them but then they have to defend the lovely things as unlovely and the unlovely as lovely and it becomes a really good conversation about subjectivity the purpose of these walks is to really increase the learners familiarity with the playground or the schoolyard or wherever they are because as I said at the beginning, we want to develop a sense of emotional connection. We need an emotional connection with the natural world. We're not going to fight to save something that we do not love. And so that's the purpose. What, what if students are exploring the schoolyard with 60 different lenses, 60 different focused walks, 60 different opportunities to emotionally engage? Every time that ordinary place becomes a little bit less ordinary. And that really is the purpose, to show like the wonder in the world around them. Yes, and that shift of perspective, taking something that's ordinary and adding that nudge or ripple effect and then seeing what changes from there. And I think we were discussing before we started recording that it was Richard Louvre perhaps that said it's not just enough to go out into the outdoors. Yes, go outside. But let's have a focused intention. And within these experiences that we're offering to our learners, there are so many opportunities to um, scaffold and layer the learning. I think, yeah, absolutely. I think that when my kids were little, we would go out for a walk. And I think this resource is really something I would have used as a parent of a younger kid. Let's look for lines. Let's look for shape. Let's look for corners. Let's look for borders. Let's have a vertical world walk. Let's what's underfoot. Like there's just prompts for making that outdoor time a little more, um, a little more intentional. And so for learning, there's so many ways we can connect the walk to what we're doing in the formal curriculum. So it just gives teachers that are interested in doing things, um, in the schoolyards they're in and taking their learning outside, sort of a lot of ways to do so with emotion and imagination at the heart of it. Yeah. 
Well, and I, I think that imagination piece is so key, especially with vocabulary building, which was making me make the connection with the core competencies that we have in our BC curriculum, which hopefully we're talking about with our learners throughout the entire year. And if you're infusing nature walks into your daily educational practice, I think it's easier to infuse the core competency language also throughout the year by using your resource. There's a lot of opportunity for that competency, yes. Um, creative critical thinking and also social, social and personal well-being and awareness is something that, that I've heard a fair amount about is how the being in, in outside and they might be hoofing along, walking really quickly, or they could be hunched down exploring a little spot. So the idea of a walking curriculum is a bit of a misnomer because it's not about getting your steps in, right? You might only get part way out and then that's, you find everything you need to find, but it is about more open exploration. So there's a lot of opportunities to take a walk and the point of the walking curriculum is not to just have a checklist I've done all 60 I'm done it's to by the end of using the resource if your students know what that you're doing these outdoor explorations as part of your learning they start to come up with walking themes and then an important message for me is it's not just the walk it's the cognitive tool or the emotional tool that and triggers the imagination in the process what you said before is very true I, I don't think that having kids outside picking up garbage is necessarily helping with their sense of emotional connection to the world. They might be fulfilling a social justice piece. They might be doing something for their community, but it may not connect them more closely with the natural world. So I'm not saying we shouldn't help in our communities and clean up our parks, but I don't think just being outside is enough. And actually, there's um, work by a deep ecologist named Arne Nace, and he says there's two ways we engage with nature. Being active is a lot of the reasons we argue to preserve natural areas. We like to hike in them, we like to bike in them, we like to run in them, we can't imagine not camping in them. We want to be active in them. Well, you all can only go so far in your personal connection to the natural world and your sense of being part of a living world through that form of action. He then refers to activeness, which is one of the principles of imaginative ecological education, is that activeness is a very different form of relationship. And it's actually more likely achieved through pause and through stillness. And so this enters what we were talking about before in that idea of the importance of mindfulness as part of our outdoor practice. How do we slow down enough to physically feel our, our body's connection to the world? Because ultimately, we need to and want to um, change our relationship with nature. So we're not preserving it because we want to use it. That's an instrumental reason. And I think it only gets us so far. I think nature is worth preserving and worth saving intrinsically because it's valuable for its own sake. And, and so that's where we're going. That's the purpose in the long, in the long run, for me at least. That's amazing. I, I love that. And I think us being explicit with our learners and our community, what our intentions of being outdoors are. This can help bring the community together um, in terms of what our purpose is when we're learning outdoors. And I know that this can be an area of tension for a lot of educators. There can be some pressure that their outdoor learning experiences are just extra recess time. So to help mitigate that outside pressure, some educators have done an amazing job with documenting their learning 
again, it's making obvious what our intention is of being outdoors and how we're giving back to the community. So actually, this is how I'd love to segue into the walking curriculum challenge. So could you tell us a bit about about what it is and how it all started? Sure. So the first walking curriculum challenge happened in 2018 when the resource came out. And actually the resource first was just a blog post of five ways to take your teaching outside. And then it became 10 and 20 and eventually it became a full resource. But um, so the first walking curriculum challenge, 50 teachers signed up to do an outdoor walking focused imaginative activity for 30 days. And then the year later we did another one and there was more enrollments and we didn't even did one in the fall. And um, then last or this year in the spring, we did um, a challenge and we really ramped it up and we set a goal. We said, if we can get a thousand teachers to sign up, we're going to donate. And we're, we being Imagine Ed, which is um, education that inspires that organization, we're going to donate a thousand dollars to the Environmental Youth Alliance, an amazing nonprofit here in, in Vancouver. So we got 960 signed up. So needless to say, we made the donation, but it was very exciting to go from 50 to 950. Um, so that is just a, an opportunity for teachers to um, take their learners outdoors, just commit to it. But the students, what's really interesting is frequently they don't want to stop. They don't like it when the 30 days is over, right? So when it comes to the parents and possible resistance from parents, I totally understand where that's coming from. Because the idea of learning outdoors as part of rigorous learning, not a break from learning, is not the norm. And we tend to think about school in ways that relate to how we were educated or ways that relate to the the sort of... um, grading and evaluating aspects of school. But what we know from learning and what we know from research on on learning is that learning happens much more fluidly and learning happens in many more places and learning our potential to be good learners can be developed in other places. So for anyone who's concerned that their child is doing learning outside, I would say a few things. One, I would say that there's mental health and physical benefits for having, uh, from being outside in the fresh air, for one thing. I would say that too, that um, we're, we are human bodies were meant to move and learn through movement. I mean, if you look back in history, that's how, how it's been. And three, I would say that inquiry and the ability to follow a question, learn from that question and take what we learned from that question and develop it and extend it. These are all very important learning skills. So these are all aspects of of the walking curriculum that when used with in the way it was designed, the students are learning things outdoors that then connect to extend and elaborate what they're doing indoors. So it isn't a break from learning. I, I got an email from someone and it and at first I thought it was a good email. It said, Jillian, I got your walking curriculum resource. Just loving it. It's so important that kids have a break from learning. And I said, oh, heartbreak. I thought right up until the end, I was loving that email. And I said, I messaged the person back and I said, well, I appreciate that you like it, but it is absolutely not a break from learning. That is one of the barriers we face. And I know you face it in your outdoor teaching as well. There's a lot of barriers to people taking things seriously, but it's a paradigm and all paradigms can shift and change. And that's what we're trying to do. Isn't it, Lauren? Absolutely. And first, that's heartbreaking, first of all, Jillian. And especially because I know I also talk a lot about sit spots. And the first impression that I get from many people is, yeah, that's my break from teaching. It's my chance to relax outside. And similar to you, it just makes me feel like, ugh, 
no, that's not the purpose of the sit spot. No, it really isn't. So again, that's my big passion right now is to teach or support how we can use and utilize the sit spot for both curricular and core competency connections. So, you know, it's brilliant. I, I think what you're doing is so important and necessary for all educators, even the ones that don't consider themselves outdoor educators. For a long time, people thought to be an outdoor educator, you had to have a biology degree or an environmental science degree because you're going to be out there naming things and taking soil samples. Well, not necessarily. My, certainly the walking curriculum is about forming an emotional connection with the natural world that could in fact leaving, leave us feeling more, more fulsome as human beings because we're paying attention to a relationship that tends to be ignored, which is ourselves with nature, with the more than human. Absolutely. Oh, I'm just feeling that this talk is so inspirational and exactly what people need to hear right now, especially during COVID times when we're a bit more willing to explore outdoors. Now, it's currently late fall, almost winter. So do you have any suggestions for people who may be nervous about exploring outdoors during the upcoming chilly, rainy months? I think one thing I find remarkable is whenever I do workshops with adults, and if I'm doing a workshop, even a Zoom one, and it's about the walking curriculum, we're part of it, we're outdoors. And even sometimes it's raining and whatever. We come back in, we've taken a 15 minute outdoor exploration time. And if those people had jackets on, they came back refreshed, invigorated, and energized and ready and with knowledge to share. So I think it's not about bad weather, it's about, about bad clothing. So if parents realize that we're going to be heading out at any time in the day when the full-on rainstorm stops, we're going out. And on this day, we're going out in the rainstorm because we're looking at X, Y, or Z. So your child will need to have a pair of boots or they'll need to have a, a rainproof jacket or we'll have umbrellas in the classroom because the world is different under an umbrella. Anyway, I think that in, certainly at the West Coast, there is a, I don't really think there's any time of year we can't go outside. I mean, my colleagues in, in the prairies, they laugh because when I grew up in Victoria, if it was minus one, it was like, close the schools, beware, beware. And they shut things down when like the wind chill is minus 50. And, and so there's really no reason that we can't head outdoors. As, and a letter goes home early in the year explaining that that's an important part of the learning the mental wellness of the children. Importantly, this is not off time. It's on learning time. They need to be outdoors to gain the knowledge for math or science or whatever they're doing. So they need to be equipped. That's it, really. And you might be able to welcome parental support if they want to see that the children are not um, soaking wet or uncomfortable necessarily. I, as a teacher, would have extra jackets with in my ja in my room. I'd have extra umbrellas for those kids that don't have one on that day. But otherwise, I'd say it's important that we get outside. Yes, exactly. And I think to reiterate that point of when we send communication home to parents, when I was teaching kindergarten and you have meet the teacher nights, well, pre-COVID, of course, I would spend the majority of my conversation with parents about the expectations with outdoor learning. We'd often talk about, you know, what they're learning at block centers. They learn math, balance, teamwork. So in relation, 
when we're out on the grass field, we're learning about spatial reasoning and relationships and creative and critical thinking. And sometimes we'd even give sample sentence stems to our learners. So we'd show uh, parents or other educators a picture of a child with some dirt on their pants. And we'd say, wow, you've got science on you. Or uh, I'm so proud of you for getting up close with nature. You know, we're not trying to make the learners feel bad or nervous about getting dirty. It reminds me something, Lauren, about a school in Ontario. The principal is very supportive. And to um, introduce the families, communities, she had a school-wide families walk. She had them all there for the welcome at night. And she said, this year, all of your learners, all of these students will be heading outdoors for some of their learning. And so we're gonna all go out now and we're gonna do a line walk. And um, we're going to then come back and debrief it. And you're, and so they got to experience that sitting in the gym, sitting in the library, moving outdoors, getting that fresh air. And then they came back. So she did one. And then I think it went so well that they, they used the walks just as a form of community building uh, later on which is really interesting too, isn't it? Oh, that's a great idea to start the school year that way. Let's all get involved in what your child's learning will look like, and then we can experience it together. Mm-hmm. I thought so. I mean, that might be something a, a teacher might want to do is invite parents to be part of a walk on, on a certain day or come early to pick up the child and do something like that. Yeah. So what are your next steps, Jillian, in terms of the walking curriculum? Do you have any fun future plans coming up? Which there's more hours in the day. There's so many things I'd like to do. Um, in my new position in um, educational leadership, I'm really interested in the kinds of leadership that supports imaginative and ecological practices in schools. So um, we are starting some research next year that really looks at uh, educators' experiences using and employing walking curriculum practices. So that'll be coming. Um, but I really want to better understand the nature of instructional leadership and then formal administrative leadership in places that support walking and imaginative practices. So that's one. I also have the dream of having a, a secondary school edition of a walking curriculum and also a post-secondary. That's the, the most interesting um, context for talking about walking as a form of learning and practice. So there's a really interesting article right now by Dwayne Donald, and he talks about walking curriculum as a practice that can support reconciliation. He's an Indigenous scholar, and it's just a beautiful piece of work. That's something that I'm also um, really hoping to pursue further, is working with my Indigenous colleagues and bridging the work I'm doing with Indigenous pedagogies, because we know that from a Western perspective, being outdoors and learning outdoors is sort of a fraction of the paradigm. And we know that Indigenous pedagogies, land and place are at the heart of it. So I have so much to learn from my Indigenous colleagues. So that is part of my journey in reconciliation, is understanding how and where we can bridge Western ways of thinking about learning, Western ways of thinking about outdoor learning and place-based learning with um, land-based and Indigenous pedagogies. So there's, see, there's not enough hours in the day. Well, and now I have about 20 more questions that I'd love to ask you, but I do know that our time is coming to an end. So before we get to our novelty nature note, is there anything else you'd like to add about the walking curriculum that we haven't had a chance to mention yet? I'd love to invite any educators that are doing walking curriculum work to shoot me an email because I'm, I have now a listserv of a lot of educators that are doing it and then want to connect and do some PD together. And so 
if anybody wants to shoot me an email at gcj at sfu.ca, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to, if you want to share your practices, their ImagineEd is a great way to share them. ImagineEd is a blog, if you don't know it yet, educationthatinspires.ca, that has a lot of this imagination-focused pedagogies on it. Um, and um, just to please reach out because uh, the more we talk about how we do this work, the more it can become less of a fringe activity and more of a central activity. Thanks for mentioning that. I'll definitely add your email and blog information under the podcast notes. And lastly, I know you have a great novelty nature note up your sleeve that you're going to share with us. I do say I have a favorite kind of tree and I don't have very many around me here. Arbutus trees are my favorite tree. And I grew up in Saanich in just outside Victoria. And I was, I realize now that I was obsessed with, with Arbutus trees. We lived on a bit of an acreage and there was Arbutus trees all over it. And we would, you know, run under the branches of those trees and we would see the peeling bark and peel the bark as well. And then uh, the sounds of the crunching leaves underfoot. And just, we used to lie under those trees and look up at the sky and just see all, all of that. But I, I've always had an affinity for Arbutus trees and I don't think I realized it at the time. However, I've told this story before is that when my parents were ready to get rid of my boxes of stuff when they moved to a smaller place, couldn't believe they didn't want to keep my grade five schoolwork. But anyway, they didn't. And as when I went through the box, it was full of things to do with Arbutus trees. All of my notebooks had doodles of Arbutus trees. I wrote stories about Arbutus trees. I wrote a legend about an Arbutus tree. There were pictures of Arbutus trees in there. It, I mean, I had forgotten about how much I love that tree. I just love that story of the Arbutus tree because it kind of brings us full circle to how you began this conversation with how the intention of the walking curriculum is to bring us closer to the land physically, but emotionally. So I have to share that my emotional connection is about the sword fern. And we grew up with a little cabin that had a field of ferns right beside it. And I would just spend so much time lying down in a field of ferns, staring at the spores on the underside of the fronds. And uh, I was a very energetic child. So me lying down for any period of time was always quite a, an accomplishment. <laughs> so I guess that brings me to my novelty nature note, which will be about ferns and that they reproduce via the spores that I just mentioned, uh, that they don't have flowers or seeds. They're one of the oldest plants in the world, and they're also found all over the world. So I think that's pretty incredible. So thank you so much, Jillian, for sharing your enthusiasm and perspective with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for this opportunity. I loved it. It was just great chatting with you. Well, Jillian, thank you again so much. And I highly recommend that everyone follows Jillian on Twitter at P-E-R-F-I-N-K-E-R. And her blog is educationthatinspires.ca. I'll also include the link to purchase the walking curriculum book and her other books under the podcast notes. Lastly, I have exciting news that my first children's book called Me and My Sit Spot is about to be published. So please follow me on Twitter at LK McLean, that's M-A-C-L-E-A-N, or on Instagram at Mentoring Nature Connections for more updates. The countdown is definitely on and I couldn't be more excited to share this resource with you. 
Until next time, go get your hands dirty and have fun with Mentoring Nature Connections.